shapeshifters hope that you enjoyed this rare and infamous moment that combines a first-rate disaster with genuine historical significance. But now it's time to take a deep breath and get those cameras out as we prepare to temporally reset you to one of the most fantastic catastrophes in history. Are you ready? Everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. Our first episode of 2024, Tom. To all the <laughs> Absolutely. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Everything that's been going on and uh, gearing up to the holidays and everything has kept me a little busy. Um, no. Son is home away. <laughs> son is home from school. Yep. So I took him to go see Godzilla minus one. So now I've seen that twice. Yeah. Two uh, more than me. Damn it. <laughs> You've got to catch up. I do. Uh, it's just as good the second time around. I cannot wait to watch it again. Other than that, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show prior to this, but we are we have finally cut the satellite. I know we've talked about it in the past. Yep. I've grabbed a couple streaming services. We, we do have uh, Disney Plus now, so I can watch my Doctor Who as it comes up. And just recently, I signed up for Paramount Plus. And, of course, one of the first things I had to go do is check out some Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> of course. And I went ahead and went back to the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and watched Encounter at Farpoint. It's so interesting to watch that when you know what they're capable of. And, and, and how that show progresses. The show that we see at the end of All Good Things yeah. is not the same show that we see at, in Encounter at Farpoint. No, in fact, uh, dialing into any of first season, and first season in particular, second's still a little KG2. It, we all know it doesn't get great until the third season. But... Um, but that first season, it's cringeworthy. <laughs> I'm amazed. Of, it feels unfinished. I'm watching this premiere episode, and it feels like they had to get cameras rolling because it was going to air. You know, 1987 was rolling around, and it's got to be done now because the set looks unfinished. It's drab colors. Um, there's no real detail to anything. The sound design, the like the hum of the bridge really isn't there. Yeah. It's just people talking in a room. Yeah. Ex- except for the little the like boop 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 under the uh, view screen is insanely loud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would drive me mad. <laughs> uh I, I don't know why my head immediately goes to this, particularly with Encounter Farpoint, but Deanna Troy. <laughs> In the first episode, she's just overwhelmingly bad. I, I like you just you really like, honey. This is the twenty third century. Let's let let's kick it up a notch and not be so. Whoa, whoa is me kind of about every scene. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, but I feel like her her first line is, I feel something. Yeah. <laughs> It's way too over the top. 
And did I get yeah. that wrong? This is the 24th century. Yeah, I think it's the 24th. Yeah, now, the Kirk, Kirk's 24th. Yeah. Anyway, but, like, yeah, or the performance is just way over the top, and, and you're like... Oh, everybody's performance is OTT. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, if anything, and, and with Patrick Stewart at the helm for the first time and on this and all that, you could have convinced me that they thought they were doing a stage play. Because mm. they're, they're over-emoting everything. As if people in the back of the room have got to understand what, what you're doing. Like, uh, guys, you're on camera. We can edit. Right. <laughs> I mean, and understandably, no one really knew who their characters were. No, no. And, and that's a given. This, I mean, this that's, is... That, that's wow. absolutely a given. But it's just amazing how... They did how much they didn't know who their characters were in, the, in those early episodes. It's all so. God, everybody is so quick to phaser for one thing. <laughs> well, I, I mean, this is while Gene is still very much involved, and, and he is making his late '80s version of what he just finished in the '60s. So. Yeah. Oh, and it feels so much like Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. Uh, the 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 scenes on the planet when the uh, the the old city is being attacked, and you feel like that is the same backdrop they used on every alien world in <laughs> <at> Star Trek. <laughs> There's that, and, and um, all of the loud colors of everything. Um, everything's a show. Like, yeah. Yeah, Gene, this is... I don't care how far in the future, people still gonna <laughs> not be quite that out there. I got a kick out of the, the the old cities being attacked. There's explosions everywhere and Rikers down there. Oh, there's there's heavy casualties. It's, it's being hit really hard. And you look, there's not a soul <laughs> to be seen. No, no one's running from the buildings. No screaming crowds. Yeah, well, again... No budget. <laughs> Not right away. Well, they they had a crowd of people in the quote unquote mall at Farpoint in the early scenes. You you couldn't you know double duty some of these people and have them run around and go ah. Well, yeah, you you didn't shoot all that all at the same time. I mean, there's a reason you can edit. <laughs> you didn't have to shoot it in order. <laughs> Uh, maybe it's because they had explosions going off, and maybe it's because it was a model. <laughs> it's pretty much what it really... There is that, too. But, yeah, no, uh, they definitely they spent all of their budget on the model of the Enterprise, and, <laughs> and that was it. They, they did. They loved their model, and they loved their theme song, because, you know, you get it at the beginning of the episode, and then, oh, we're going to split the uh, Enterprise in half. Yeah. Let's play the theme song again. <laughs> Isn't this amazing? Sure. <laughs> I was there in 87 watching it. I, I, I loved Same. every moment of it at the time, but even then, a, a, as a 14-year-old boy, <laughs> still like, I think there could be better. <laughs> 
No, I've I have said it before, and I will I will maintain that had there been any other science fiction on television in 1987, yeah. Star Trek: The Next Generation would have absolutely tanked. Yes, no, it would have been out of there in a, like a shot. I mean, historically, Patrick Stewart has said he didn't even unpack. No, I know he didn't year. think they were getting out of first season at all. Yeah, and he has no idea how close he was to being right. <laughs> We're we're just all very glad that they hung in there and and got. Oh, absolutely, got it right. absolutely. Like I said, you have no idea the, the the potential that that was there that we know is there. That's the only thing that can kind of get you through that first season is be because you know better stuffs are coming. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, uh, having that completest mentality in your brain, you're like, if I'm gonna watch. Minute, I'm, I'm in for the whole thing. <laughs> so in, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah, the, yeah. I, I gotta take the the bad with the good, and the bad is all right up front. <laughs> well, and that's kind of how I'm approaching my uh, my membership in the Paramount Plus uh, streaming service. Is I'm gonna go back, and I think I'm gonna watch some of the stuff that I've faded out on. Mm-hmm. And try to complete it. Uh, the the Deep Space Nines and the Voyagers. Yeah. I've seen most. Oh, I have too, and I haven't completed either of those myself, and that's coming from me. <laughs> right. I, I've I saw the first few seasons of both, and then I kind of faded, and then I watched like the finales. <laughs> Oh, see, I haven't even bitten off the finales on those. I have actually rewatched the entire Enterprise series instead of finishing Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and particularly Voyager. Yeah, I think that's a, a series I definitely want to revisit again, too. Uh, that's one I, I keep thinking, I, I kind of want to watch, and then I, I just I never actually pull the trigger. I don't think you'll regret it once you get started. It's one of those, uh, I'm aware of the criticism. I get some of the criticism. But I think it got levied a lot of harsh criticism that wasn't warranted at all. I I will I will defend Enterprise, absolutely. I, I don't have really any issues with that show. No, I mean, yeah, there's crap episodes <laughs> sure and, and they went down some funky rabbit holes here and there yeah i, I the the time war thing and all i i definitely wore thin on me uh, i guess that was in the first season yeah because every time you see i didn't like that they trotted out time stuff almost right away when immediately yeah because yeah. that's that's usually the kiss of death for for me mm-hmm. when it comes to Star Trek. When you start doing time stuff, I'm like, can we have a lower decks episode? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you start doing, I am an alien but a Nazi. Like, oh god. <laughs> is cousin is, is cousin Oliver too far behind? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just uh, yeah no those, those ones make me cringe. But I mean, you can't. You can't have those series without having the cringe word. There's, I guarantee, there's no episode of any television where they don't have their their episodes where you just like, I'm out this week. I'll catch you next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, there's certainly plenty. I mean, you go back if you're if you're just talking Star Trek, you go back to TOS. <laughs> TOS let's, was let's, chock full. Let's let's be honest. Yeah. There's probably more episodes that aren't that great <laughs> TOS than are outstanding. It's just that the ones that are outstanding, I mean, they're amazing. Yeah. 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 They're they're. they're there's, they're the reason Star Trek carried on beyond its original three-year life. Without those, the rest of it was gonna tank everything. So yeah, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have fun with Paramount Plus because I think that's gonna be my sort of. Uh, it's almost time for bed, but I got an hour. Yeah. I'm gonna watch a Trek. Yeah. Why wouldn't? You? Yeah. Exactly. Stop it, Nemesis. <laughs> you... I'm not watching that film anymore. <laughs> I, I actually decided I I got a couple cabinets of DVD and Blu-rays, and I've once again outgrown them. I have a stack of additional DVD and Blu-rays sitting on the floor next to them, yeah. and I was just talking to my, my son. I was looking, and I was like, I need to do a purge again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a handful of things on another shelf that are like, these just need to go to Half Price Books, and I told him, I was like, hey, you're home all day. If you want to go to Half Price Books and take these with you and you know get my... Six dollars and fifty cents, or something, for them. Yeah. Um, you're welcome to. So I, I'm gonna need to go and do a purge. And I was looking at the old set of Star Trek, uh, the original films. Yeah. The first uh, six films. Yeah. And it's the DVD box set. And I was looking, and I realized that five was missing out of this box. Yeah. So I still had it on the shelf with all the new Blu-rays that I've bought to replace the DVDs. Yeah. And I just like, I'm not investing in a Blu-ray for five. Because I just, I don't like that film. No. So I just left the DVD there. And then I started thinking, I, I'm literally never going to watch this again. <laughs> no. I've, I've watched it the first time. I saw it in the theater. Mm-hmm. I've done the, well, maybe I was too hard on it. I'm going to watch it again at home. I'm never going to watch that film again. So I took it off the shelf and put it back in the box set. It can go to half price books. I'm not going to have Star Trek five in my collection. (laughs) It's just, I don't need it. No, it it doesn't fit in anything. It doesn't lead up to anything else. Yeah. No, you could easily go from Star Trek four to Star Trek six and not miss a beat. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's just so terrible. It's, Absolutely an abomination. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I've watched or done anything else. Uh, I, I I don't think I have. It's just the uh, Godzilla and um, finally getting back into some classic Trek. Yeah, and uh, that, that between the holiday rush of things, trying to bring the semester in for a landing, and uh, I've I kept up with mostly Monarch. Um, Actually, the one thing I would bring up, though, uh, aside from Monarch, we've talked Godzilla, and Monarch is, it's fun, but it's a mess. Um, But the one thing I was going to mention to you uh, is I found myself home last week sick. And so to have on background, as per usual, I added on Pluto TV to the Top Gear channel, just turn rip the knob off just let it run and i happened to 
they were playing them in sequence again. And they were at the last season of the of Clarkson and, and, and team. And I got it in my head. I'm like, okay. And then it did. It, 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 right after the last episode, which having watched the last... It's been a while since I caught the last episode with them. Clarkson was already removed from the show. Ooh, was he? Yes. May and... and and Hammond had to bring the the rest of the series in for a landing. They narrated stuff. They had a few things in between, and they showed the stuff where Clarkson was in it, the stuff that they had already shot. But he was not on the show anymore. Oh, curious. I wonder if I've seen those final episodes. Yeah, it was like the last two. Clarkson was already gone. He had been fired. Um. And then I got it in my head. I'm like, okay, I haven't actually rewatched Grand Tour from the beginning. I did that just recently. Yeah, and so I turned on Grand Tour, and, and it's interesting because the they do that whole Clarkson's been fired. He he's leaving the BBC. He gets in his car and then winds up in the desert in the U.S. Um, and, and they go through all of that, and they get the show started. And while I'm watching that first one, it has the air of what we just talked about with the um, encounter at Farpoint. It, it's not right. <laughs> it's it's no. a little cringeworthy. It's like, we want to be Top Gear so bad yeah. that we're going to rip off everything that we did to date, only we're going to do it in a way where we feel like it's not sincere now. So I zipped, I fast forwarded through a lot in that, in the first, if you want to call it a season of, uh, and honestly, even somewhat in the second season too, uh, a lot of the in-studio stuff. Oh yeah. As soon as they hit it, like fast forward to the seg, to the next car segment, because the, uh, oh, we've got a suit. We've got a a star coming and he's, he's flying it fast forward. Um, and then they got the, uh, even their little, uh, our star around the track, it's not that much fun. Fast forward. I, I skipped all that and just went back to the whatever the the theme of the episode was. Well, and it felt like uh, the producers had watched Top Gear, but because this had Amazon stink all over it, they were planted up. Uh, first off, I, I've never been more insulted as, as an American than watching the very first episode of the Grand Tour. It it would have you believe all of us, all of us that have ever liked Top Gear, are just base hillbillies. Um, it plays up the hardcore stuff, uh, and then their driver, who they named the American who just mm-hmm. rattles off all sorts of terribleness. Like, he's completely unsophisticated and hates all all cars that aren't muscle cars from the South. And, like, that, right. it's just yeah. offensive across the board. Yeah, see, that's, that's a lot of stuff I fast-forwarded through. Yeah, and I, I sat there watching it, and I'm like, why? Why am I watching this? And how, how did this survive to a second season? Because, yeah. like, I'm like... It, and yeah, I, I they're, they've always been very kind of tongue in cheek, and 
riding the line of decency a lot of time. That's how Clarkson got fired in the first place. Um, but this seemed like somebody thought, oh, well, that's part of what made them funny. So let's make it worse. <laughs> and, right. and, and, and that'll be ten times better, right? And it just comes off all wrong. It's not until they actually settle into their skin in the set later in the second season that uh, that they're like, oh, okay, you guys got a little more creative control back, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Oh, yeah, that's a possible right there. Jeff Bezos uh, interpreted Top Gear, and you guys went with that because he threw you all sorts of cash, and then no, I, you finally got some control. I, I I think the specials are probably the most fun out of the sure. Grand Tours. Is when they finally go, oh, we're not going to do the Grand Tour. We're not going to do the Touring Ten anymore. We'll just do specials where we'll go to some country and take cars and and, and drive up mountains and stuff. Those that's the stuff that I I have so much fun watching well yeah actually the one thing though that i thought that they did lose that it's kind of what they do with the specials but one of the things that i always rather enjoyed was where they just give them a pittance of money and tell them go buy something and yeah and then they put them through those various challenges that they did i always love that stuff and they never really quite captured that in the grand tour so i thought that was a missed opportunity yeah, no, I enjoyed those, too. And, and those, you didn't need to necessarily do the big tent and all that. You could just run those straight through, and mm-hmm. they never latched on to that, and I was always kind of disappointed that that wasn't... Like, sure, because I can only imagine what it costs to take them and go do some of these things. Like, I caught the one where they're in, in uh, Burma uh, recently, and they have to build that bridge, which, the bridge over the River Cock... <laughs> but yeah. they have to build that bridge and they had to have been there for like a solid month <laughs> to, to, to build that and, and it starts getting my juices flowing about how TV is made I'm like uh, the cynicism starts setting in and I'm like okay did they actually stay there and build the bridge or did they get a lot of people to come and build the bridge and occasionally shot them doing stuff I think the latter happens more often than the former. It yes. probably is, but you like the illusion, so yes, I don't exactly. know if I want. I don't know if I want it to be spoiled. Like I don't know if a tell-all at some point that says this is how we did all that stuff. I don't no, know if I'd exactly. Like- <laughs> they are one where I don't want the curtain pulled aside. It when you you see it and you it feels and seems unscripted. And it just seems like three guys that are all having a great time doing something. I want to keep that vision in my head. I I don't want anyone to pull back the curtain and go, well, actually, what happened was... I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) no. I don't want to hear it. No, exactly. I understand understand that it is likely more what happened, but I, I can push that aside and just go, nope. These are three people, and they're driving along this cliff, and they're going to die, and I'm going to watch. <laughs> yeah, and, and there are some of those where you kind of catch them when they're a little raw, and that's part of what you connect to uh, when you're watching it, and then, which is why you want to not think about the illusion of television in the moment. So, But, yeah, some of the Grand Tour... You get more illusion than you do 
than other stuff. Like, okay, it's not seeming as genuine as it used to. Yeah, so so much of Grand Tour feels scripted. Yeah. Whereas most of the Top Gear felt off the cuff. Yeah, it was improvised. So. And and all the specials, I feel like, are a little bit more off the cuff. Yeah. Or at least come across that way. Yeah, well, at least more moments for the possibility of improvisation. Yes. But, but yeah, so that that's... While I was sick, that's what I got myself all dug into. Nice. Well, glad you're feeling better. Thank you. I guess that was pro- that'll probably do it. Let's go ahead and take a break. I was going to do things a little differently, but I think no, uh, we'll go ahead and take a break. Okay. I'll listen to a promo for the podcast, and then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, series of films that we're going to be discussing this year, and we're going to talk about a TV movie from 1986 called Condor. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction film. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project. What's going to take us a long... Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Right, so the series this year, we are calling Past Futures Imperfect. So we are looking at films that took place, that, that were filmed and came out in the past, but they were trying to predict a future, and that future has now passed. Or at least is our <laughs> current present. Or, yes, exactly. We, we can fudge a little into the perceivable future, something not so far that it's radical, but within five years, we're probably all right. Yes, yes. So uh, the general rules are that the future must be at least five years from release, uh, preferably 10 or more. So if it came out in 1980, they're predicting 1985, 1990 at least. At a minimum, yes. Uh, the future year must now be the past, present, or at most five future years from the present day. Yep. So pretty much what Tom uh, just said. And there are going to be some questions that we're going to kind of ask and we're going to be looking at in this in the films is, obviously, did this future become reality mm-hmm. that they predicted? 
And then within that, what did they get right, if anything? Yeah. Uh, what did they get wrong? Because let's be honest, they're going to. <laughs> yeah. And do we think that this film's future, quote unquote, may yet come to pass? Which is going to make Condor a fun film to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot of fun films already on the list. We've had a few good recommendations beyond the ones that we just came up with on our own. And uh, we're going to whittle through, and again, we'll see if we've got enough to fill the entire year. Uh, there's just there's a lot of films that we found on our list that I, I feel like are just a little too fantastical, you know? They, they jump ahead too far, or just... They're not believable, you know? They, they were made in, like, 1980, and they're set in the year 2020, but they're zooming through the far reaches of space etc etc obviously we're not going to find any predictions or that's all wrong so what's the point this is where (laughs) we could probably start putting a a, a more definitive line between what is science fiction and what is fantasy yes if it feel and and we're just going to have to have a sniff test to it if it if it has a waft of more fantasy than fiction, then it's probably not going to fit in the series. Exactly, because if if you go and you try to Google and try to find films, you're going to get a lot of these like uh, post-apocalyptic uh, after the after the, the the fourth world the nuclear war uh, kind of thing, uh, and that's obviously. There's nothing really for us to talk about no, in, and, uh, and, under these guidelines. And, and to just lay it bare for an audience like Mad Max. Mad right. Max would fit into our timeline that we're talking about, but its projection is just too far into fantasy that that doesn't fit relevant to this discussion. You could almost... <laughs> still count the first film perhaps yeah it's it's a little closer but once you move into like beyond thunderdome and all that you're 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 outside the realm of really kind of lashing it all together yeah yep exactly so for the first film and this is funny i discovered this film after i came up with the idea for this year's series i was just kind of scrounging around on amazon prime looking for something to watch and I'm sure this just came up as a you might like or uh, I watched this film so other people who watch this film watch this film sort of thing. I'm thinking, all right, this sounds interesting. It's about a cop in the future and et cetera, et cetera. Like, well, maybe this, maybe this would fit, you know. I'm so glad I watched this film. <laughs> As I said before, 1986, Condor. This was a TV movie that aired on ABC. It was a pilot for a series that was not picked up. The film, little synopsis, the year is 1999 or 2001. I've actually seen both years given depending on where you read about the film. And a terrorist with an axe to grind with Condor operative Christopher Proctor has escaped from prison. She has in her possession a special computer code that can give her access to armaments around the country. She has threatened to destroy the city if Proctor isn't handed over to her. It's up to Proctor, his new part, his new partner, Lisa Hampton, who happens to be an advanced android, 
and the rest of the Condor organization to find the Black Widow and put a stop to her before she can kill thousands. This stars Ray Wise as Christopher Proctor, Wendy Kilborn as Lisa Hampton, also appearing are several recognizable character actors, Craig Stevens of 1958 to 1961's Peter Gunn fame, James Avery, who many people might know from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Carolyn Seymour and Karen Montgomery, who both appeared on Star Trek The Next Generation uh, several times in Carolyn Seymour's case, mm-hmm. uh, among many other series throughout the 80s and 90s. So yeah, there's a lot of faces in here that you're going to recognize if yep. you grew up in the uh, in the 90s. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I wasn't expecting James Avery when he came on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a name that I saw in the credit. I was like, that, sound, that name sounds familiar. Where do I know him from? And it was my wife. And I was like, oh, Fresh Print. Oh, okay. It's Uncle Phil. It's Uncle Phil. It was not a show I watched with any sense of regularity. So I, it, I didn't immediately make the connection there. Ray Wise is obviously an uh, a actor still working to this day. A uh, character actor who has been in everything <laughs> yeah, at some point or another. I believe wasn't he actually uh, the orig- in the original Swamp Thing? He was before Swamp Thing becomes Swamp Thing. He was the scientist. I think he was. Which I just watched Swamp Thing again for the first time. Oh, that's probably how I stumbled on this thing. I watched Swamp <laughs> Thing. <laughs> it's how it came to a you would also like. <laughs> yes, also starring Ray Wise, Condor. Uh, Condor, by the way, is the name of an organization that is sort of like a... Uh, it's the FBI. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's a crime-fighting organization. It's like Knight Rider's flag, you know, Kinda, foundation yeah. for law and government or something. It's it's any number. It, if it's in the 80s, there was some organization that fought crime on, on television. Condor was one of those. I couldn't quite figure out exactly who pays for Condor. <laughs> or why anyone listens to them, or what their what their mission is. <laughs> yeah, uh, you get the uh, explanation of how Condor was founded. Uh, you find out that the 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 head of the organization, Cyrus Hampton, he created some formula, and this formula was taken by the government and used as a weapon, and started a war in South America. And that upset him, so he founded Condor to kind of right the wrong. Mm. That's the explanation given in the film. What their jurisdiction <laughs> is, is anybody's guess. They're obviously international, yeah. apparently, because uh, our, our hero comes back from a mission from abroad, after which costs yeah. him his, uh, his partner. Yeah, loses his partner. You, you get the feeling from that explanation of how it was founded that they wouldn't have anything to do with the government yet they somehow have the power to go to the police chief of Los Angeles and go well this is a condor operation now and hand them the papers yeah. like, where do you get this authority <laughs> <laughs> or, or or when he flashes his, his credentials and it lists him as a condor agent in his credentials and the police just walk on by <laughs> Yeah, have a good night, Mr. Proctor. Right. Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly what their authority or where they get their authority or where they fit into the whole, into the world that they yeah, created no. here. 
Well, the, the, this if, if you start pulling at that thread, then yes, we can no longer enjoy Knight Rider. We can no longer. <laughs> yeah. Good point. What, whatever the hell Airwolf was. <laughs> <laughs> that one, actually, I think... <laughs> Oh, no, there was Angel or whatever yeah, his name yeah. was. The guy in the white suit. Yeah. There, there was some connection to something. The, the guy with the cane and monocle. <laughs> yes. I forgot about him for just a brief minute there. Yeah. So I was wondering who was filling the tanks of that thing. Yeah, or, or whatever the hell Street Hawk was. <laughs> just all of those vehicle-based <laughs> action shows. So I started watching this thing. This was with a lot of fun because, like I said, it was uh, filmed and aired in 86, and it was only predicting uh, less than a decade into the future at that time. So it's a turn of the century, whether it's 99 or 2001. I thought I turn saw of the 99 century. come up on the screen when I watched Oh, okay. Did you see it? That might be where that 99 comes from. I know in the uh, introduction, and i got to talk about this introduction. Yeah. I think the studio thought... There's no way this is going to fail. This is going to be a series. So they actually created a very 1980s series opening. Yeah. Oh, yes, they did. This is home base, a city on the edge of the 21st century. My name is Proctor, and I live here. A little old-fashioned, but that's my style. I work for an international peacekeeping force named Condor. I just finished a rough assignment where I lost a good friend and partner. Condor assigned me a new one. Lisa Hampton. I'm not sure it's going to work. Our namesake. There aren't many of us old birds left. And I love the fact that it's still there, even though this has just been left as this one-shot TV movie. Yeah, you, you would have thought they would have cut that out and then just had a fade-in credit with the name Condor or something, because we've had other failed pilots that that's kind of what they do. Yes. Oh, it probably wouldn't even call it Condor. They obviously would have come up with, you know, Search for the Black Widow. They'd come up with some Proctor's Gamble. <laughs> Brought to you by Ivory. <laughs> and thank you, folks. Uh, that'll that'll uh, end the show right there. <laughs> Can't get any higher than that. That was just amazing. <laughs> but no, they gave it the full 1980s uh, opening, yep. and I absolutely loved it. I think as soon as that's as soon as you start the film and that comes on, it's like I'm in it for the for however long this lasts. I'm in. <laughs> Which you and I have different uh, thoughts on that because I saw that opening sequence and I'm like, oh dear god! <laughs> like, what what has he gotten me into? <laughs> 
I loved it. Complete with a voiceover. Oh, yeah. Uh, a little explanation about who he is and what Condor is, and I loved it. I thought it was great. Well, and, and I fully recognize uh, my hypocrisy and all that, because to this day, like, uh, if, if I'm catching an A-Team episode or, or a Knight Rider, uh, I will sit through the whole opening credit sequence and lap it up. <laughs> but the, this one, while I'm watching it, I'm like... Hey, hey. Yeah, your sequence even makes me sad. So, <laughs> so not surprised you didn't make it out of pilot. <laughs> After that, the film goes into a uh, a, a prison we, where we see our uh, our Black Widow, uh, this this woman, and and right away it's another little moment that just it makes you smile because this is 1986. So this prop that she pulls out of her pocket is only a year old. She pulls out the Ghostbusters EKG meter. PKE meter. PKE meter, excuse me. EKG is different. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) She pulls out a PKE meter to disable the, uh, the robotic guard. Yes, and listeners, I didn't even make it out of that scene before I was texting him going, Oh my god! (laughs) <laughs> a PKE meter and, and, and she's using it to to interact with a robotic guard who at least his face mask is very reminiscent of the the robots from uh, the black hole oh I hadn't thought about that yeah, you're the, right they kind of do have that look the, the face sculpt of uh, what there was the rest of it's just a motorcycle helmet but uh there is a bit of a face sculpt where the face shield of the motorcycle helmet should be, and that face sculpt looked dead on something that they cast for the black hole robots. And then then we get that fantastic 1980s staple where our villain escapes in a jetpack. Of course. <laughs> all, all the 80s villains are doing it. <laughs> yeah, except her jetpack... It's definitely a jetpack on the cheap. This thing looked like it was more... This would have been better suited to, like, uh, spray lawn care products. <laughs> kind of. Um, well, I, I, I feel like you're glossing over, too, that uh, since we're set in the far-flung 1999, um, that as the robot guards, uh, which, no, we um, but when the robot guards start shooting at everything, they're doing so with laser guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have, we've given up bullets, and we are shooting lasers yeah, everywhere. Bullets of light going everywhere. <laughs> I think about this point, uh, well, we would have gotten what would have been a commercial break. <laughs> Definitely. And then we meet our hero, uh, Ray Weiss, as uh, Chris Proctor, and he's in a self-driving car. So there you go. There's our first. They got it right. <laughs> they did. Uh, uh, as with we still do with self-driving cars, maybe a little too uh, promising, but yeah. But still, uh, and, and the fact that it's in a in a classic car body. Because mm-hmm. I don't think they were hiding that that was supposed to be an older car with a. No, new. absolutely no. I. It was a modified, uh, I think, like uh, old Porsche, if I'm not mistaken. That has obviously been 
obviously been modified to include this self-driving apparatus. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, hands-free communication within the car. Because he, he could make a phone call. He make a he made a, a food order, yeah, dialed I, up a restaurant. And that was the part that I latched onto. He he not only ordered food, but paid for it for pickup at a drive-in, which is literally what I did before I got home to be on this show. <laughs> yeah. So totally nailed that. They if anything, just a decade or so too early. His his drive-through had an animatronic <laughs> uh, woman serving the food. That 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 hasn't happened, but you could kind of spin that and say it's the same thing as when you go to a, a, a fast food restaurant these days and you and you order through a kiosk mm-hmm. and you don't interact with with you know a, a person at the counter anymore. You can't even go as far as there's a place not far from here where um, not only would you either order it online or at a kiosk in the place, but they will put it in an automat style. Uh, box that you just open it up and let yourself into your order so yeah, well, there you theoretically go. don't have to interact with a human being at all i i, I found it a li- little presumptuous though that the the half mechanical woman because it's only her from the waist up yeah it, it, it's just a push rod in the floor underneath then they wanted to point that out but um they they decided to make her a bit Susie like <laughs> yeah and she's she's hitting on him as she's giving out the food yeah yeah she's practically she's hanging out yeah literally, literally. of her uh <laughs> of her little kiosk there and is there anything else you want mr proctor <laughs> like I don't know what version of the future where we're going to have our half robots hitting on us while you know, <laughs> handing us a burger, but whatever. Uh, I think more disturbingly, knowing what our future is now or what our present is now, yeah. there would be people that would be accepting. <laughs> <laughs> there would be people that would have crushes on the... Oh, uh, uh, yeah, no, it'd be a whole thing. <laughs> yes. There's probably already a spot somewhere on the internet for those folks. He gets to the the Condor office, and we get to see um, disintegration garbage cans. Oh, yeah. That has not come to pass, unfortunately. Now, I could get on board with the idea, though. But people would start throwing people into the trash cans, and that'd be a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you do wonder what sort of safety measures (laughs) is... Is it strictly non-biological? <laughs> yeah, and then how, how how did it handle the uh, refuge from his burger? <laughs> right. Yeah, we only see him throw in his uh, coffee cup. Yeah. So you know, no, could but... definitely use something to just destroy styrofoam and make it disappear. I don't know where it goes in the disintegration. <laughs> Are we breathing styrofoam particles now? I... Now, now. As we're leaving that, and he's catching up with a friend, uh, um, uh, this woman who is in a full-body leotard, basically, um, I'm going to give him a little props, because with, with the advent of the yoga pants and it being worn everywhere, I'm going to go the fashion actually kind of went along with what they, they had proposed. It did a little bit, yes. Yeah, so... Now, it, it was definitely... It's always fun watching the 80s predict the future because the style of clothes is always still very 80s. <laughs> and so are the hairstyles. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I kind of like, uh, you didn't stretch much there, did you? <laughs> but no, uh, I get, uh, granted, uh, yeah, the, the, the full body leotard, the skin tight stuff, especially on a woman, was always a, 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 a thing, particularly for the 80s, especially since Jazzercise. Uh, but, uh, but the notion that that would be something you might even still wear in the workplace, and considering the the yoga pants thing, um, I'm like, I'm gonna give it to him. That that came yeah. to be. Well, it, it sort of works because uh, whatever organization Condor is, apparently their their ground floor is just a gym. Because <laughs> everyone, the entire he, he hey, goes he in went the, up elevator. the elevator first. Oh, good point. Yeah, so, it, okay. It was just standard office building on the on the ground floor. Right. But uh, he goes once he leaves the elevator. The, uh, the the first floor that he enters, it's everyone just working out and doing exercises and 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 training openly on the floor. It's like, okay, I I don't think I want my actual office just downwind from the gym. Is all I'm saying. Well, true, but uh, I'm gonna give a little point to them for that too, because the notion of a more a free form workplace where you might take a break out of your day to go work out that is a thing it, it, it did become more of a thing 80s that would have would have been unheard of but but today yeah having a corporate environment where you might actually just break for working out that's very possible possibly but i think in this case it was training as Operative, sure. not just going for a workout. I suppose, but I'm going to give them a little credit because uh, I'm not going to give them a lot for other things. <laughs> I think at this point we uh, we meet our our next star of the film, mm-hmm. uh, Wendy Kilborn as uh, what was her name, uh, Lisa Hampton. Yes, who we find out is a very sophisticated android who looks just like a beautiful blonde woman. Mm-hmm. That has not come to pass. But they did say that she was actually a biological computer. It it wasn't silicon microchips or anything. And I thought that was interesting because that is a thing that is being uh, experimented and and with today. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not there. But yes, uh, they've they've landed on something. I'm going to jump a little ahead since we're on Lisa at the moment, though. Sure. A little off-putting when we get to the end where she's just interested in getting a kiss. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was a little disappointed that our... Unfortunately, misogyny has not died in the the future. No, no. Well, and to be honest, it still has. (laughs) No. Much to our dismay, um, but but to that point, yeah, the whole way around, uh, and, and clearly written by men anyway, because I, I don't know who writes that. A- after all of their adventures in, in this particular episode slash movie, all she really wants to know is what it would be like to kiss Proctor, who is fairly off-putting character all by himself. What's love like for a human? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just starts ringing like, oh, wow, you you could have gone a little more highbrow, but nah. There are times, you know, the, the relationship between Proctor and, and Lisa, 
he's really disparaging towards her mm-hmm. because he's through most of it looks at her as just oh you're just you're just a robot you know oh you can stick your neck out because if it gets blasted off you'll just get a new one and and you can tell that she's annoyed she she's offended yeah by a lot of these comments you're like all right that's interesting and i think okay that's some place that you can go somewhere with mm-hmm. and maybe had this gone to series that would have been but likely it's the 1980s it wouldn't have this was too soon to have this dynamic. If you were to do, not this, but, but take the notion, uh, and, and they explored it a little better in at least the Will Smith iRobot movie. They gave his character a reason to be distrusting of anything robotic. So when he meets mm-hmm. something new that's operating at a higher level... He's struggling with what that means. Um, But now, today, where AI is literally amongst us, if you were to have a series where you wanted to explore uh, a really hardcore human character, somebody maybe not ready for what the new world looks like, and then having an advanced android that has independent thought, have that, and then have that that pair-off, now I think you'd uh, you'd be in the right time frame to have that conversation. Actually, there was a series. Oof, There's another cop five, series like that. Five six years ago, called Almost Human. Yes, I, think, I with, remember. Uh, Carl it. Carl Urban. Yeah. Brilliant. Loved that series. Uh, Short lived. It was just sort of maybe twelve episodes. Yes. And then it just poof disappeared. And, and honestly, uh, that was what I think this kind of wanted to be. It was definitely setting that up, but you're right. I think it would have been too soon. I don't think anyone really would have gone for it. I think that would be something that some ambitious writer would have worked into this first story, thinking he was going to write you know, all this really great content in future episodes, but likely the studio would have went, yeah, let's, let's back off on that. Well, and since... At the top of the show, we were talking about you rewatching Trek. Uh, if you think about it, it's a year later that we get introduced to Data, and even then, they kind of knew to pull it back enough to make him not wholly human, and then make the thrust of the conversation about him wanting to be human rather than the dynamics between human and android. Uh, in this case, we're setting this up for the potential of there being, there's her, but how many other hers are out there? If this had gone to series, I think we would have gotten two. There has to be other ones. Besides, if Kit had Goliath, Lisa's gonna have Bertha or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah, she had to, she couldn't have been just, oh, perfect, right out of the box. How about that? Yeah, yeah there had to have been uh, uh, prototypes. There had to be prototypes. There has to be the counter organization, the Condor, who is building the evil version of Lisa. <laughs> There's right. gonna—it's the '80s. There's no way you're not having that. <laughs> I think that dynamic—the idea of someone being kind of prejudiced against someone and then having to learn to like live with it and, and then come around—definitely handled a lot better when you get into the Alien Nation. Yes. Uh, series. And I think that's part of where this one was uh, 
creating misses for me. And I'm like, you saw all the hokey jokes, um, the cheesy dialogue and all that, and setting up a larger um, conflict. Um, and then they dissolve it all at the same time. I mean, he did, wasn't entirely into her, but almost did kiss her. Um, and it's just like, ah, you know, either you knew you weren't going to series when you made this and just decided to jump to that, but you didn't give any build here. There was no reason for that to happen. <laughs> no, no, I agree. That's the sort of thing that would happen two years down the road at a, you know, in a, uh, a, a season finale yeah, or, or something. it's at least the first season finale <laughs> if yeah. you got that far. But I mean, yeah. It just, it rang like, this was already not great, and that one was just like, where the hell did that come from? It's hard not to look at it in, like, today's light. I could see if this were, like, something attempted today, and that was your first episode, or your your, your pilot, or whatever, yeah. that it when it goes to series, you could backpedal on that, and sort of forget that happened, and then... Sure start start your build that likely wouldn't have happened in 1986 no uh but to continue down uh, let, uh we don't have to pick on lisa the entire time um no 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 she is kind of the macguffin of the uh of the series that's the one thing that you have to sort of accept as being reality yeah, because they're trying to set it up for, for that larger conversation that they just didn't get to. But uh, like, but there wasn't anything particularly extraordinary about her either. I mean, she was a little bit stronger. Um, she could process computer stuff very quickly. Yeah. But they didn't make her like, like she's a Swiss Army knife and, and she can pop out a thousand. She's not all of a sudden Inspector Gadget. <laughs> right. No, no, they did. They did kind of rein her in pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, I think a character like this, if you're going into a series in the '80s, which is going to have multiple writers. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think she would suddenly develop. You know, new in abilities yeah. uh, throughout the. Now, all, all of a sudden, she'd be like R two D two with his little rod, and he, she'd be able to plug into everything and just reprogram the world. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, I, in, in one episode, she'd be like the bionic woman, and then the next episode, uh, she wouldn't be able to lift the car off the kid, and she'd be sad and. <laughs> <laughs> Just depending on who wrote the episode. Well, uh, well, yeah, and, and at some point, because I think we were all supposed to figure that Black Widow was going to be that villain that returns. Um, oh, absolutely. We did not get a definitive end to the Black Widow, but you could see her trying to take off in her jetpack, and Lisa steps up and goes, I don't need no stinking jetpack. <laughs> yeah, and, right. And she just starts flying. <laughs> right. Uh, the 80s was really good for that. <laughs> There's a couple of things, other things that I thought they kind of did a neat uh, prediction. I think the uh, they had their little communication watches, which were obviously just the Casio like uh, uh, calculator watches. Yeah. Oh, the calculator ones. Yeah. Yeah, but um, it made me think of like the Apple watches. Mm -hmm. You know, taking calls on your watch. Yep. That's. Uh, actually, they're not the only ones. I mean, um, 
don't know what year Knight Rider... I think Knight Rider predates this. But uh, Michael was, of course, talking to Kid all the time on his watch. Also, I believe it was a Casio. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was. It was either Casio... It's the 80s. It's either Casio or Armatron. Yes, and Knight Rider was 82 to 86, so yes, this... Mm -hmm. uh, and, and since I've taken the moment to look that up and all that, that's actually one of the things almost a little disappointing they projected 1999 nothing looked particularly outrageous and, and Knight Rider actually kind of has higher tech than they did in some cases oh yeah well with the kit anyway sure well with kit but yeah just in general like uh, uh, the one that I latched on to that they presented that is very much a thing is the drone helicopters Absolutely. I was definitely going to talk about the military drones. That was not something I don't think was a thing at all in the 80s. No, no I mean, people like to speculate at the possibility of running things autonomously, hence Kit. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, the notion of just a flat-out helicopter that you control by program, um, totally a thing, totally came to be. <laughs> And armed, armed military drones. Military I mean, that drones. that was definitely a, a prediction that has come to pass. No, absolutely. Uh, and then uh, there were computers at the time, but the notion that they uh, played a larger role by 1999, totally a thing, totally happened, totally happened yep. in that time frame, too. Yeah, no, uh, he had a home computer, and obviously it was a big box and he wasn't using it because he was an old-fashioned kind of guy right. whatever uh but yeah home computers it wasn't until the early 90s that we started seeing them actually uh show up in the home right yeah uh, prior to that they were still they were around they were they were being used in office and in business uh yeah but they weren't ubiquitous and they weren't on everybody's desk exactly so that was a that was very interesting for this time to that literally in the time that they supposedly are in that's what was happening in real life that that was actually very cool yeah no they they almost nailed that down to the day i wanted to talk about the vehicles yes of course uh first of all uh apparently the future is plymouth <laughs> well that that didn't pan out terribly well <laughs> no it didn't uh aside from plymouth we saw <laughs> A few futuristic-looking cars out on the road, and the Black Widow does escape in the uh, 1977 Super Van that was created by George Barris for the 1977 film. That was the uh, when she lands her uh, jetpack and gets into that weird van where the guy has to like lift the windshield to get out. Yeah, that was the Super Van. Every kid had that Hot Wheel if they didn't actually see the movie. Yeah. <laughs> And then they were buzzing around. The bad guys are buzzing around in those three-wheel autos. Oh yeah, uh, the 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 trihawks. Yeah, those made me think of the modern-day slingshots. Yep. No. In fact, it, but I actually like the trihawks more than I like the slingshots. <laughs> <laughs> For one thing, they've got a windscreen. <laughs> I tell you the vehicles that kind of set me off, and we kind of saw more toward the end of the film, but just casually. The, there was the funky police car, 
Um, and, and then there was some other vehicle with some weird back end to it. Um, yeah, it looked like almost like a Formula One uh, street car. Yeah, and, and the thing, I, I double-checked the, the time because uh, RoboCop came out in 87. And, and I'm like, so, RoboCop bar- borrow a few vehicles from their set? Because it, it was very reminiscent of those kind of things. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sure that the, the futuristic, quote-unquote, vehicles that you see in this film weren't created for this film and were borrowed from any number of things that had been created and then were showed up in an, any number of other shows in the future uh, and films. You wanted to almost get a bingo card to check off uh, which thing did you think this came from? <laughs> so when I watched this film, after having devised the idea for this series, I, I, I just feel like this film just fit the bill probably better than... I don't know if we're going to find another movie that really fits the theme of the series as well as this. It, it's predicting the future, but it's not a crazy future. Everything right. is just within that realm of possibility with the exception of Lisa Hampton, the uh, the beautiful android. And, and um, the continuing to roll up your sleeves on your suit. <laughs> yes, and, and wear your... Uh, untied boots tucked <laughs> tucked oh yeah with your him walking into in. the office like that was just killing me <laughs> I I don't know was it was the rolled up suit sleeves that far different from like Miami Vice <laughs> well yeah that's what I'm saying but that, that was clearly rooted in the 80s at the time and apparently caught on so well that it continued into 99 <laughs> I just really appreciated the um Let's predict the future, but let's not go crazy. I, I just, it just felt like a very grounded, possible future, with with few exceptions. Well, no, exactly, which is why this is the perfect one to kick this series off. You you, you nailed it on the head. I mean, they didn't get not. In fact, the advances. One might argue, why did they feel the need to even set it in 1999? It, not far off of where they were other than they wanted to get some of the computers and they wanted to justify the Android. Yes. Um, but but yes, it, it had that grounded feeling. It had that... Um, we didn't set it so far out that we know not every city is going to be completely leveled and turned into glass towers and, and all that really pretty notion of what the future looks like. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, and that's what we're looking for. This is what we want to do in this. We want somebody that understands that they're making a future thing that isn't so outrageous that it crosses that line. Mm-hmm. And I, they just—I think they did a, a remarkable job. I, I don't know the writers of this thing. Um, they see uh, Lynn Jansen and Chuck Menville not names I'm familiar with. They're not television writers that I'm familiar with, but I have to think they had to have done a little bit of research. You know, did they, they look into, did they look into the science magazines? You know, were they watching, were they reading popular science and and seeing the someday in the future, we will kind of stuff and going, okay, I can incorporate, I can work with that. I mean, let's add that because that was being developed. That was being talked about. They had to have done a little bit of research. All of this couldn't have just been, oh, I think in 
we'll have this. And thank God they didn't do the flying car thing or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure at some point this year we'll have flying cars on our film. There's no way around it. <laughs> and had it gone to series, had it become a little bit popular, I think Wendy Kilborn would have been on. She would have been the like the pinup uh, poster on a lot of people's walls. She was for nineteen the mid eighties. Yeah. She was very beautiful. Yes. No. 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 Uh, uh, not detracting from that all at all. I, I, I think, and, and I will stay, as cheesy as this was, as little as Lisa's, the Lisa Hampton character had to do, um, you're not wrong on that front. But honestly, and I like Ray Wise, but this character was fairly off-putting. He was uh, a bit crass, bit rude, very misogynistic. Um, didn't seem all that particularly capable. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like a lot of people were doing stuff for him. Yeah, and, and and ultimately, like, like I don't feel like he solved anything. He he didn't he didn't really win at anything. Um, he just managed to escape, not dying, <laughs> and, and and he walks through there like. Like, his stuff doesn't stink. <laughs> He's Condor's best agent, he, Tom. He is, but we didn't see anything remotely suggesting that he is a good agent by any stretch of the imagination. He wasn't even all that effective at arguing with the police commissioner who had his head squarely up his butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Proctor just kind of runs around and yells a lot. <laughs> It doesn't actually accomplish much with it. No, and, and I think that's the problem with this. Uh, I, I'll grant it, it. It's a, it's a mid to late '80s kind of mess. Uh, but I mean, so is all the rest of the '80s TV stuff. It's just they'd find something, they'd get a little, a little grain of something good, and we'd go with it, and we like it. Um, but he didn't. He didn't have the looks to pull it off. He didn't have the presence. He didn't seem capable of anything. The lead character was a dud, flat out. <laughs> <laughs> you could have just made it about Lisa Hampton, and I would have preferred that. Yeah, no, it was definitely a. Um, as far as the the acting and the story, it was definitely more of a miss than a hit. Yes, but. I'm surprised I didn't see this back in 86. Anything sci-fi that showed up on television, I, I usually discovered and, and gravitated towards. I never knew about this thing. Did not know it existed until it fell on my lap. Yeah, see, for me, 86 would have still been like 8th grade, and mom and dad had control of the, of the TV, so... Whatever night, uh, whatever Sunday night that that appeared on, uh, we were probably not watching. <laughs> yeah, see, see, being growing up with a with a dad who was also a bit of a sci-fi fan, yeah. it wasn't too much of an issue. But yeah, this one this one went right under the radar. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know you said you'd watch the hell out of this, but I mean, did you really miss it? <laughs> <laughs> well, not not when you think we got um, Star Trek a year later. Yes. Uh, no, uh, yeah, this was not in that category. But this wasn't even in a night. Uh, I don't know. Wouldn't it have been funny if it was Condor that killed Star Trek? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, 
it was a fun watch, and it fits into our theme great, but uh, I was watching this, and I'm like, I, I get why this didn't go past pilot. <laughs> this is just not good. You know what's... Maybe it's a little bit of a sad statement on me. You know, I've watched this twice. I watched it once on my own yeah. and, and went, oh, we have to watch this. And so I watched it again, um, obviously, to prepare for the show. I'd watch this again. <laughs> I think we've already assessed that there's a little something wrong with you. <laughs> it, it is funny how how forgiving you can be for some things that they just hit you in the right spot <laughs> this is garbage <laughs> for you it is warm cozy comfy garbage <laughs> yeah this this is this is this is a chicken noodle soup on a cold day yeah, no I, I i got it and, and, and it's what i love about you man <laughs> but but Oh, if I were to wander past your house and you were watching this because uh, you needed a, com- a comfy, cozy chicken soup kind of day, uh, I- I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> nope, that's fine. Fair enough. I understand. No, I, I, I understand them. I, I embrace my weirdness. I'm fine. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And I have mine. There are those that you just look at me like, really? Uh, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> But I, I am the type of person that would make up a Condor identity badge and then go to a convention and look, I'm cosplaying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The way I see it is now you have to. <laughs> <laughs> it is nice seeing a hero named Christopher. I'm just I'm just going to go ahead and say oh, that. Well, there it, you go. He's definitely one of the earliest ones that, that I know of. Yeah, we got Christopher Pike now. You well, know, with Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, and... see, you, you advanced rather quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that Proctor's the hero that you really want. No, probably not. All right. Well, obviously, um, no one has seen this film, <laughs> so I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any uh, uh, feedback or comments from anyone, and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I no, didn't uh, find a review that wasn't uh, a- any earlier than 2018. So it's just right. It, it's other versions of us talking. Yeah. About this. Unless, film. unless you happen to have a copy of TV Guide for 1986 laying around, you're not going to get much out of this one. Yeah, and Siskel and Ebert didn't catch this one. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's time for a Condor revival. We need this remastered. Oh God. And- <laughs> Theatrical release followed by a 4K Blu-ray. Can we at least go all G.I. Joe and turn all the good guys uh, 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 laser bolts red and all the bad guys blue or whichever way you want? Because I I, I need to be able to tell which laser bolt is which laser bolt. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, good, good, good. Now I'm in. (laughs) All right, well, that'll do it for Condor from 1986. Uh, next episode, next full episode, we're going to look at uh, a film that came out just a year later. Mm-hmm. This one went straight went to the theaters. We can't not talk about this if we're going to be talking about films set in the future. 1987's Running Man. This is going to be a fun watch. I haven't watched this one in at least 10, if not 20 years. So it's been a while. But I, I do know that, especially in today's age of reality television, 
Uh, this film's got something to say, I think. <laughs> it, it does, and, it, and it, it's Arnold. How, how can you go wrong? It's Arnold. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, uh, thoughts on The Running Man, please send them our way, timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com, or follow the link in the show notes to all the social media sites. I think that's going to do it for this episode time. I think so. All right, well, Happy New Year to everybody. We'll see you, or we will talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, bye. See ya.